Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast, guys. Today, it's just me and Cade, and we're going to have a conversation uh, about unexpected maintenance and repairs. Something that, <laughs> especially recently, we've come across a lot and have a lot of uh, experience with, yeah. so to speak. So, oh my gosh, we've got a lot of personal stories for you guys, <clears throat> a lot of personal experience that we've gone through so mm -hmm. shoot let's jump right in well so a lot of people when they talk about getting getting into rentals a lot of the time their biggest concern is you know what if i you know my tenant doesn't pay what if i have these big repairs we obviously had talked about a lot of that stuff before we bought our properties but um you know let's let's just have a conversation then about what those conversations looked like and everything ahead of time uh yeah so, and, and starting out too, everybody's like, and I know <clears throat> we were a little bit guilty of it in the beginning too. And everybody's like, you know, I want to own rental properties. Let's own rental properties. It's passive income. You know, uh, my tenants paying my rent and I'm going to cash flow and this, that, and the other. And you kind of get blindsided by kind of what you hear from other people or what you see online or on the yeah. flipping shows the or HGTV and all, yeah, all the gurus. And it's like, Yes, R rental properties are a great way to get passive income, but what a lot of people don't talk about is exactly what we're talking about. The unexpected repairs, maintenance, money that headaches. it costs, <laughs> headaches and stuff like that. So backtracking to when we were first talking about doing our partnership and buying our first couple rentals, I think what you said was important was the first thing we had talked about was what our mindset had to be going in yeah. and kind of, you know, maybe not, not a slap in the face. Cause we could, we kind of knew what, mm -hmm. what the experience was, but just kind of getting on the same page of each other and also going in realistically knowing what we were walking into. Yeah. You know, we didn't walk obviously into this thinking it's just going to be like, you know, some profit machine that just pumps out cash every month. Yeah. Um, and that was really key. It was good because if we had thought about that, our first year would not have been very pleasant. <laughs> um, and so obviously, I mean, like we're buying these properties just to be long-term investments. And like we're putting the money forward now, knowing it's going to pay dividends in the future. Um, so that was like really key. A lot of the times people talk about like, oh, this pumps out all this cash flow. And they forget to talk about like they didn't budget anything for repairs or maintenance. And if we had done that... And we had planned our purchases off that. I, I legitimately think we would have had to sell by now. Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> I think we would have been screwed. We would have been toast. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so one thing that we had written down right here that I think is really important is to an extent, we wrote down that repairs are investments into your property. Yes. And uh, understanding that, differentiating differentiating between investing in your property and then also thinking of it as an expense. Yeah. Right. So it's let's talk mix. about that a little more. Yeah. Well, okay. And like, let's break it down. Like there's different kinds of repairs. Mm -hmm. I mean, the repairs that we would consider investments into our property would be fixing up like large things like roofs, plumbing. These are things that like you're going to have to do at some point. So why not get it done now before the cash out refinance and yep. then finance it over a longer period of time? Yeah. And knowing that if you have to fix a roof or plumbing or electrical, 
if you don't fix those things, your house is going to be in a, a whole lot worse shape than if yeah. you don't fix them. And exactly. soon you'll find yourself without a tenant, without any rent and a house that needs a, a whole bunch of extra stuff done and more money poured in because you didn't fix those integral things up front. And it, it's funny because we seem to have done a lot of those repairs. Part of buying all the properties that we did without, you know, going through a traditional purchase route, you know, it's like, we don't know about the sewer line and all yeah. that. So even like this last weekend, you know, we had the sewer line break on a, on a property and it flooded. Yeah. Thank the Lord. We had a good <laughs> property manager who was able to get it done quickly and for a pretty decent price. Yeah. Good uh, contractor. But guess what? Now we don't have to worry about that house having that problem again. Yeah. You know, for the time that we will own that, that plumbing will be good. Yeah. And that kind of leads into, um, another thing that you and I had talked about, which was basically having that expectation up front and knowing that these are the things you encounter when you sign up to be a landlord. Yes. We're not signing up solely and just expecting a check in the mailbox, right? You've got to expect going in that you're going to have issues with tenants. You're going to have repairs that pop up. You're going to have emergency unexpected repairs Mm -hmm. that pop up. And it's going into that fully knowing that. So when they, those things do happen, you're not as stressed, you're not as worried or caught off guard because yeah. it, you know that these things do pop up just like they happen with your primary residence, right? Exactly. Or if you own a home. Or your business, if you exactly. own a business. Yeah, yeah. It's And it's funny too that you even brought that up. Like there's two different things that come when you have these unexpected repairs and maintenance. It's like the financial burden and then the, the like stress, like yeah. the physical <laughs> burden of like the panic that I think you and I have both experienced when you get an invoice for that kind of an amount, um, you know? And so- like just even looking at that, there's like different things that you have to do to make sure you're prepared. And over the last year, we've had our run-ins. We had a $20,000 invoice come in and we weren't expecting it. Not to say that we didn't know it was going to come at some point, but it just dropped in our email one day nonchalantly. And it's hilarious because like now we understand why we were so panicked. We yeah. just, we hadn't gone through these things and like figured it out. Yeah. Side note on, on that story, that was our first big our first big invoice yeah. from our contractor slash pop property management. And we, we knew we were uh, going to have to owe a little bit of money for some of the work we were doing. I don't, I don't think either of us was expecting $20,000. I think we were expecting 10. Yeah. And, and so I remember, um, I may have been on my way home from the yeah. office at that point, And I think you were I was the, with, the same or, or I was out with a friend. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> I remember us hopping on the phone and us being literally like, and excuse my French, holy shit. What, what the hell is this? What are we going to do? And I remember we're like, we're meeting at the office now. in 30 minutes. Yeah. Be, see you soon. And then we go and we're literally there backtracking our invoices, invoices and adding numbers here, adding numbers here to see what possibly we had missed. And if there was a lesson to be learned for us, that and was important. Yes. Too. And that there could be a whole nother podcast episode on that and just being up to date and aware of where you are at financially and, and what you're doing that way. But I think that was a really good lesson for us both with the mindset wise you were talking about moving forward when, you know, we just got hit with a $17,000 invoice. And it's mm-hmm. like, at that point, you know, neither one of us had the panic attack. I mean, we, we worked through it pretty easily. We knew yeah. our game plan and, and mm-hmm. that's how 
that shift happened, which I think is important for us. Yeah, and and, we'll, and we also got double downed on. That's when we found out that the sewer broke that yeah. weekend, and so <laughs> oh yeah, so we're almost up at the twenty k. We were again. at the twenty k <laughs> range, and it was just it was very different how you and I reacted compared to the first time. Oh, and I think a big part of that was mentorship. Uh, so first off, our property manager is somebody we've known for a while, and we were able to have an honest conversation. Like, hey, we weren't really like expecting this all at once what do we do we think we made a mistake how do we solve this we got right into the problem solving we were able to figure out that solution but the other big part is we went to mentors and we said like what would you do in this situation and it was hilarious hearing the responses i mean there was anything from like well you know man up and pay it like yeah this is this is, you want to be a big boy this is how you be a big boy yep to like uh you know actual like financial advice like hey here's what you could do to like solve this problem and set this up and then deduct from here. It was just very interesting having somebody like that looking over your shoulder. Yeah. And I think, um, talking that the concept of talking to other people are going in, in a mentor kind of leads into, um, kind of how this whole thing started, which I know we wanted to talk about too, was tackling these unexpected repairs and maintenance and even just owning rental properties with two people with a business partner is night and day difference. If you own them by yourself, right? Yeah. Because if you're owning them by yourself, you're, you're the only one making decisions. You're only worrying about yourself. You're all caught up to speed on, you know, where you are at mentally, right. financially and all this stuff. But it turns completely upside down when you decide to jump into business with a friend and, you know, right. become business partners and now go and own eight rentals, you know, however many miles away. Right. Right. Well, and so the other part to that too is like, we're only in this 18 months, but like legitimately we are still really good friends. Yeah. Like, like we've had moments where we disagreed already and like being able to be on top of that relationship and, and all of that, that's been a key part in us still being friends and having investments that we enjoy. Oh, a hundred percent. And I know people who have asked and people um, who have come to us and said, Oh yeah, you know, me and my buddy, we're also talking about going and buying rental properties. And I think it's uh, the biggest thing we, uh, we have under here. I know we were talking about, which we have told people over and over and over again before making that choice, just to jump into business with a friend who also wants to do this, that in real, in real estate is to read the specific book. So what, what's that book? It's rocket fuel, rocket so, fuel. So let's dive into that just a little bit. The big part about before we got into this is we had a lot of people warn us about partnerships, right? And that's good because we learned, we learned a lot. I really don't think we would have, have done as well had we not learned about this. Mm -hmm. But before we even bought our first property, we already understood what each person's ideas were, financial status and relationship status and everything from personal to business. And like we've been able to maintain that by following the precepts of the book, you know, and it, it gives you very easy to follow rules. And we've just implemented the rules in our day-to-day -day life, um, most importantly being like the level 10 meeting, right? So, and let's talk about the level 10 meeting. So every week, Scott and I, we set aside at a minimum an hour, you know, sometimes at, like you know, between minutes. what 90 minutes to two hours, at least once a week. And we're both sitting down. If we have any of these kind of invoices pop up or any emails from property management with some unexpected repairs or maintenance or... It really anything. It's it's a time for us to sit down and really just check in on right. each other personally, you know, professionally, both with our partnership, both in our individual businesses, and just make sure we're 
still, you know, like a, a, a well-oiled machine still running and everything's running smoothly. And more importantly, finding where the chinks in our armor are. Like, yeah. Especially, you know, we've both had our own problems. Like, I know I personally have struggled with, like, uh, finance management and understanding, like, okay, here's how I track everything. And you've always been you've been very helpful in like understanding, okay, this is where I've been struggling. Here's where I'm going to take over in our business and really like lead the team here and solve these problems, which has been a night and day benefit for me because I don't even know what bills got paid this month. Um, I don't check our account balances or anything like that. And that's because we've had these level 10 meetings where you've been able to understand that's my problem. Yeah. And you know, on your side, maybe it's, uh, you know, other things where I'm helping taking over conversations with private money or with attorneys or escrow, whatever I can do, that's where I take over. And I think we found a pretty good balance where we both feel like the other person is really carrying their weight, if not more. Yeah. And I think that relationship is a hundred percent what, what, what kind of reaffirmed us when we were talking about getting into business from rocket fuel. Right. And mm -hmm. not to dive too deep into the book, but Rocket Fuel really helped us kind of outline what kind of two different people there are in business. And um, when, when you're trying to go into a partnership or you're in a company, kind of the dynamics like that. And I think reading that, we saw that one person's strengths were the other's weakness and the other person's strengths were the other weakness. And bringing those two kind of opposite people together, in a sense, mm -hmm. really helped the partnership flourish and why we still are doing the way yeah. we are now and how it plays back into like all these maintenance and repairs too is that like i'm definitely more of the emotional like jump straight to a conclusion here's what we're gonna do try to like make a decision whereas you've been always more like let's count it out let's see what we can do here it's been nice because in the moments where we've been uncertain i've been able to push us through and like yeah. when we bought these houses we were a little concerned and like I'm not saying I led the way in that, but to say that, like, I definitely was like, oh, let's just do it. Like, yeah. let's just get it over just, with. Yes, and, 100%. And in these repairs, you've been much more diligent in following through and making sure, like, okay, this invoice did get paid and this work <laughs> did get done. Yeah. And figuring out how that's, you know, all works. That's been very crucial, especially with, you know, maintaining these properties over a year and a half and the amount of projects that we've done. Yeah. And it's funny you say that this isn't necessarily a repair, but it, it, it was an unexpected expense that just popped up with owning these properties, which was for our insurance. And we get hit with two pretty <laughs> hefty invoices for our insurance. And, uh, you know, we're waiting. Uh, I obviously, uh, we don't pay them right away. I'm like, okay, we, we've we never had a why. Yeah. And then we get told why. And I'm like, okay, makes sense. Go and pay him. And then we later figure out, oh no, we just double paid. So it's like, it, it's good to be able to think the, those things through and not just be able to freaking just, just pay those off the bat and not ask any questions. Same exact thing. If we have, you know, a line item and an unexpected repair and be like, Hey, I, I don't remember talking about this or approving this. Like we've what, what is this $600? Exactly. Um, so let's kind of segue into, the different types of unexpected repairs or not even maybe unexpected, but just repairs and maintenance in general, because yeah. there's, there's a hierarchy and a level to it. Me and you aren't just going out and approving every single, we could, you know, request we could, we, we'd be, we'd be broke. Our, our business would be broke. So let's kind of go through that higher hierarchy and 
how we kind of approve or push yeah. out in uh, requests or repairs and stuff like that. Yeah. So we could definitely get more organized on this and have it like actually filtered and labeled and yeah. like, be more fiscally just based off factual numbers versus emotions. But like we, we, we try to like write down how we've done it in the past. And like really the big thing is like, like what you're saying, there's just different tiers of prioritization. So number one would be, you know, a flood, a fire, sewage line breaking, uh, you know, significant health and safety and emergency issues with that we've given permission yep. to our property manager to make decisions for us yeah if, if something comes up and it needs to be acted on quick decide like, yeah we have that relationship with that with our property manager that we trust that they're going to make the right decision that we would have made which not only helps us in that because there's a time difference and it's so far away and it takes a little bit of time for that communication and news to come through is one, let's use this, you know, these plumbing pipes and sewage breaking for an, as an example, mm -hmm. right? So not only does them taking that quick action and do that potentially save us money by not having more damages being done or, you know, water sitting in the basement or leaking more everywhere in the next 24 or 48 hours if we're they're waiting to get approval. It's also for the tenant, right? We, we want the tenant right. to be happy. We, we want them living in a pride of ownership house you know what we, we don't want them that we're not slumlords so it's like we, our when, goal is to provide a nice living situation a hundred percent so when property management is able to take that swift action it, it's just a lot easier for the tenant they're not take without plumbing for an extra two days because they're waiting on approval from us or well, we us to do something. something yeah so the, it's just better that way for those emergency stuff we've given that permission to property management to just take care of it and again we've made that decision knowing that in an emergency situation it's to protect our asset on top yes. of perform on our contractual obligation to provide like suitable living situations yes. so that's a mindset thing that we didn't originally have i think originally we were like oh when maintenance and repairs come up we have some time to discuss yeah there's going to be times <laughs> where it's like you have to get it done right now so that's been good and i think that came from understanding of like if you don't do that the damage, the opportunity lost or the opportunity cost is, is really significant. Yeah. yeah. Which is directly linked to the question that me and you had asked you asked each other was, will this repair stop rents from coming in or make the home unlivable? Yes. Right. So uh, if this thing pops up one, it, is it going to stop the money coming in? Because our cash, our cash flow numbers, the, the most important yes, to our making business, sure that right? we are getting rent <laughs> and, Will it make the home unlivable, which kind of ties back into uh, we don't want people living in an unlivable home, right? Well, and that's like a second tier, right? So, like, emergency is something that needs to get acted on within, like, five seconds now, ago. Yes. <laughs> this next unlivable question has to do with, like, plumbing leaks, roof leaks, uh, you know, doors missing, things like that. Like, we've had the most random <laughs> things pop up, and it's yeah. like, it, we don't make the decision if I was living in that house, would I do it? Because most of the time, we're going to do most of these repairs. Of course. But for a tenant and a landlord relationship, it's the conversation is like, are, are we performing obligation or obligations to provide suitable living? Mm -hmm. Like if your bathroom is leaking down into your kitchen, that is an immediate repair. Yeah. That needs to get solved. Yeah. Um, but like if your you know, tub is dripping, like a, like a little drip, yeah. like that's not, <laughs> right? Not understanding like... Yeah. Where our obligation is, has definitely been figuring out. It's taken some time. Yeah, 100%. And the kind of third 
tier that we had talked about, which we have had experience of before. And I think we've got it either just wrapped up or the date is coming up soon is code enforcement slash government required maintenance, which really, I mean, we can sit here and talk about it. We can try and negotiate with contractors to get the repair price down, but those are repairs that legally need to get done. Otherwise we can get in a whole heap of trouble. And we've seen it too, like with Fresno landlords, like this is something that we've targeted in the past for our deals. Code enforcement is part of being a landlord, understanding that like your tenant's going to do stuff that's going to get you on code enforcement. A lot of the times it's trash. It's not cleaning up. It's things like that. Well, we get hit with the fine and understanding that we have an obligation on some of the stuff to do it ourselves, such as the roof. We have a roof that we needed to repair on a garage. Yep. When we bought the home, we weren't planning on doing it, but you know, here we are, you know, that's something that we pay for and handle, you know, but then also like we've had tenants that just trash the outside of the property with their own personal items and we've sent requests to clean it up and we get racked up with fines and guess what? You know, those tenants are usually the ones who stop paying and we end up having to evict and then go after them to repay that debt. Yeah. You know, but understanding like where that obligation is too has been interesting. That's something that you and I have been pretty quick on trying to decide. I mean, whenever we get a code enforcement email, it's, it's, it's yeah, fast. Cause we get quick. it in the mail. Yeah. We send it to <laughs> RPM and then from there they're like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, by then we should have already made a decision on like, yeah, you know, Hey, get us a quote, get this done right away. Or, Hey, get us a quote. We're going to schedule it to get done on this day, whatever. And then subsequently let code enforcement slash the County know that they are in fact done. They can come and reinspect it. So it's not late. (laughs) Anything like that. Yeah. Or, Hey, send this over to, you know, we've even made that decision. Like, Hey, you know, please bill this to the tenant. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, like the clean out of the garbage or trash that did that. It was either Chapin or O'Brien that had a bunch of trash in the alleyway or whatever it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you can't just be dumping all this stuff in the alley and then us be hitting with the bill. Yeah, like, we don't, uh, find yeah, a we place don't to put up. your trash. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of leads into uh, what one of the final two tiers we have, which is not our problem slash it, it's the tenant's responsibility, right? So... It's not our responsibility to make sure the tenant gets their trash put away or make sure that they're uh, upkeeping the property as as if they should be, as if it was their own house. parking their car on the lawn. Exactly, right? There's a driveway. So if when we get hit with, you know, something like that where it's like, you know, 400 bucks to to clean up this trash and garbage, it's like, okay, we we, we may front front it so that it gets done. But we're we're gonna take that to the tenant and be like, hey, look, you know that this was X. This will be tacked on to your rent this month because of X, Y, and Z. At, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Not only for you, but for us too, because we don't want right. you, you know, to be keep keep. Being well, we on don't code want enforcement's it, radar right. and keep being hit with this stuff. Yeah, and I think we've also we kind of skipped the section that we sometimes have, which is like quality of life increases. Yeah. Um, when we rented out one of our more recent properties, uh, it didn't have window screens mm-hmm. and that tenant reached out and said, I want window screens. And we said, look, we understand we, we want window screens in our own home. We get where you're coming from. Yeah. At the moment we can't do that. And it's not even because we don't want to help those people. It's always come from a place of the numbers. Yeah. It's not It's not coming from a place of we're just being assholes. Right. We're not being greedy about it. We're no, trying to recoup yeah, of course. a $20,000 investment that yeah. we just made into fixing up this house. Like we can't tack on an additional 800 bucks before you've even paid, you know, 
a, a couple a two months, months rent. rent. Yeah, you know, <laughs> making an investment into the tenant before we even know if. Uh, obviously, we screen them and do that, this, that, and the other, but you don't know until the rent starts coming in. And we've experienced that too, where the tenant moves in after we've screened them and we thought this is going to work out, and they immediately don't pay rent. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, we send you an eviction notice on your, you know, first 15 days in the home. Yeah. Like, that's why we don't do our big repairs for people right away. We do health and safety, code enforcement. Those are the two big things we have to make sure. Yeah. And if the tenant wants to go ahead and put on window screens themselves for their own comfort and stuff like more than welcome to, or if a tenant wants to throw in change, you know, a light fixture and they want permission to throw in a fan instead, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not, that, we're not going to get mad about that. And we're not going to front to pay for the new fan because that, that's not it wasn't techni- how you, when exactly you it, when you got there there's light fun- and, everything functioning you know what i mean well and f- i just want to say for the listeners i don't want to interrupt you but like when we turn these properties they're nice yes like they're <laughs> they're well done properties yeah we, we don't have any properties that we've given to a new renter that we have felt at all embarrassed about no. i mean we ensure that everything is tip top not to say that it's like a flip you know in beverly hills but no to say that like the flooring has been done the paint is done. The kitchen is remodeled. The bathrooms are remodeled. Leaks are sealed. Windows are done. You know, it's like we go through it and we're putting good amount of money into these things. Yes. Like, <laughs> the house is only worth $30,000 and we're putting 15 to 20 into this thing. Now it's worth, you know, 70. But like we put almost the same price that we purchased the home for back yeah. into the home to make it where you guys can rent it out and be happy. We want to provide a product that you're happy about so that you take care of it yourself. Absolutely. And they're walking into something that I think that's important too, is them feeling like it, they're kind of walking into something that feels new. And it is because it's newer flooring, newer, you know, countertops in the kitchen, remodel bathrooms. You know what? They're walking into something that they can kind of be proud about living in because it's almost all brand new and they don't have to necessarily worry about upfront, you know, um, you know, like a floorboard popping up and a ton of flooring coming up or this, that, and the other, you know what I mean? They're walking into something that is newer and it is ready to go for them to live in. Right. Yeah. And our expectation is always that like, look, we understand repairs come up. Like when you own a home, that's just how it works. And we ask them to talk to our property manager, but what mm-hmm. we don't ever expect and we actually actively condone is them reaching out to us directly on Facebook or trying to find our phone numbers. Yeah. Like, we pay a service to have somebody manage this for you. Yep. If you feel like they're not doing a great job, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you reach out to them. I promise you they're going to get to us if we start getting a lot of reports. Yeah. A hundred percent. The other part too <laughs> is like, don't reach out about stuff. That's like not a problem. Like if your house, you know, has a slow drain and you just moved in, like, you know, let us know. And then we might suggest that you pour a little Drano down there. Because that's going to save you a lot. I was just listening to a podcast that they suggested that on their 6,000 units they own, they make the tenant pay the first $100 of every repair. It's in their contract. And they do a slightly lower rent. But guess what? Save them so much in, in repairs. You know, those tenants that are, you know, calling us about the most random stuff like, hey, my light bulb's out. Well, did you try turning the light bulb a little bit? Like, Or run down to Home Depot or Lowe's right. in Indiana where... Uh, a light bulb well anywhere a, a light bulb's gonna be dirt cheap right like and we're not saying that we're trying to renege on our no our part of the contract we do get those repairs done but like i'm sorry if you didn't have the willing like if it wasn't urgent enough for you to go look at that 
you know, give us a week to figure this out. Like, you know, don't expect you to send out a request and it be done tomorrow morning. Like, yeah. that's just not how it works when we're on the other side of the country and you're letting us know, you know, at like 8 p.m. and you're expecting it done by tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that we've had a lot of people ask us about is like the how like we've funded our repairs and it's been a learning experience for us. Like that first 20,000 we had, we actually used our own money and that was tough. We had over borrowed on our purchase and we had that money sitting away to like actually renovate some of the homes. And instead we ended up using that money just to fix problems that we weren't expecting. Yeah. And so let's talk about kind of a, the overarching, at least options for us, right? When funding unexpected repairs and maintenance. So our business, Early Birds Investments LLC, has its own bank account, right? So yeah. we have the option to fund repairs and invoices out of our uh, joint bank account. Each of us also have our own personal bank accounts and then also our own personal business accounts for our, uh, our own uh, individual businesses, right? Yeah. So up until this point, like you were saying, I think year to date, each of us have put in to the business to fund these rehabs and fund these unexpected maintenance and repairs about 17,500 a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned something interesting too, which was over borrowing. So for people who don't know what over borrowing is, Let's give them kind of the rundown real yeah. quick of what that means. So when you go to a private lender to borrow money, you set out all the terms and everything, right? So you have to find a private lender who trusts you, knows that you know what you're doing, things of that sort. So when you have that relationship, then you can set very upfront terms, black and white, schedule a mortgage, and you're done. So what we did when we bought our first four properties, we borrowed the exact amount. That was great. But then right away, we realized like we're bringing in a lot of our own money to fix these things up mm-hmm. and we can't afford to do eight properties at once. So the second set of properties that we purchased, we borrowed what, 20 something thousand on top of our purchase prices. It was essentially going to be like a float. What that meant is that each property now did have debt equivalent to more money, but that money was actually in our bank account being able to be used. Yeah. So we use some of that. So we're probably 50,000 in at this point in maintenance and repairs. We've got three or four properties done now. Um, and we also have four more to go. The other part is that when you over borrow, that money isn't necessarily tied up right away. So sometimes we might even try to use it as like uh, owner's reserves in case something goes wrong, or we use it to pay for our, it, our interest, our debt service, which means that our cash flow doesn't have to pay for that. Yeah. And so how does, let's talk about how kind of our thinking is or how our decision-making is when we have a rehab that pops up or when we have a more expensive, unexpected maintenance or repairs. So we talked about the original 20,000 invoice, both of us forked over 10,000 of our own money because at that point our our business was brand new. We yeah, we, <laughs> we weren't didn't making have cash, cash flow. flow. We didn't have anything built up, so we're like uh, this needs to get paid. Uh, we're going to need to pay it. So, we each put in our own money to pay off that invoice. But let's talk about another example of our, our most recent bigger invoice, which is a rehab for one of our properties for 17,000. Different. Cuz first off, let's like let's put out that this is not an unexpected rehab. 
It was an yes. unexpected repair the day that we found out the tenant stopped paying. We have to evict them. Evict them. <laughs> but we've had some time <laughs> yeah. to plan this. and Of course. And so we were able to run our numbers. So instead of it being like, hey, the work's done, pay it. It's like, how are we going to pay it? Yes. You know, still unexpected because we were planning on obviously trying to keep our tenants as long as possible. And paying as long as but, possible. <laughs> you know, in this case, we had to do an eviction. Yeah. So you want to explain like how we ran the numbers for all that? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So... At this point, year to date, we had each put in seventeen thousand five hundred into funding this stuff, and I know both of us sat down. Uh, both of us are at a little different positions with our individual business and cash heavy wise, right? So the conversation was, do we each want to dump in another, you know, at eight grand or at ten grand or whatever it is of our own money mm-hmm. to fund this repair, or is another option borrowing? the money to cover the rehab mm-hmm. and we know we're going to refinance the property anyway because that that's our strategy for these things which is the burr method which we covered in our season finale of, of season three mm-hmm. and us going okay is there a way we can leverage using opm other people's money because the goal right is, is to use the lowest amount of our own money as possible is there a way to use somebody else's money to pay for this rehab. And then when we go to refinance for every, for them to get paid off for everybody to get paid off and for us to have as little money in the deal as possible. Right. So I think when we ran the numbers, it made a lot more sense just to use somebody else's money and put them in second position and put them, uh, you know, as the backup on the mortgage for the property. Yeah. Right. So, Moving forward with that, when we ran our numbers going to refinance, we thought it was it around four grand we might be in after the refinance. I think we have to bring in like thirty five hundred total. Thirty five hundred total versus twenty grand. Versus twenty grand. And the difference was that we paid monthly a little bit more mm-hmm. on our interest. Yes. But we overborrowed in this case again. It was seventeen, we borrowed twenty. Some of that goes towards paying off that debt service. Um, help pay for some of the plumbing errors on another property. But the big thing was like, we also had another investor who's been wanting to put some money into it. He got to buy in and he's getting interest and he was comfortable with the risk that he was taking. You know, he knew who the first lender was. He understood that Kate and I are both reputable people. Like there is never a day where we will not make a debt clean. Um, even if this property were to burn down, we will find a way to pay him out and make sure he is made whole including his interest. Um, but we set everything up. So we're in the process of getting the mortgage established and recorded. But at this point, you know, that property made way more sense to not have to use our own money on. Yeah. And it allowed us to keep some cash on hand. That way we don't have to bring more money in personally. You yeah. Know, our business has some cash. Yeah. A hundred percent, which is not only good for us individually, right. With being a little more cash heavy to invest in, you know, our own marketing or, or run that just the operating costs of our own individual business. Right. But like you were saying, the big part is just uh, having more cash in the joint bank account while we're still, I mean, like you were saying, we're, um, however long into this, what's Uh, a a little over a year, 14 14 or 15 months. Like, that's not a long time to be building up cash reserves and cash flow while we've been rehabbing four or five properties and going through two evictions, right? Yeah. So it's good to have that account a, a little bit buffed up and funded mm-hmm. while 
all this stuff is and we've done. experienced the cash flow now we've had months where we've had you know money coming in and that's been nice and it allowed us what what was great was we all we automatically went to an owner's reserves account mm-hmm. like none of that money stayed in an operating account and we just continued to work off being broke uh, in the sense that we weren't making unnecessary decisions or repairs or maintenance or marketing or whatever. We were just focusing on filling owner's reserves for if another big problem came up. Yeah. So, I mean, other than that, it really, it ends up being, you know, coming down to understanding who your partner is. If you have a partner, uh, your own mindset and controlling your own emotions when that panic hits. Um, and then being financially, like fiscally prepared, like responsible yeah. enough to understand that when the money comes in, you save that because there's going to be a rainy day. And until you have, you know, a healthy savings that's prepared for issues like that, that's when you start pulling money. And one quick thing too, which relates to that, which I think we talked about early in season three is in order to minimize the number of unexpected maintenance and repairs that pops up when you're in escrow and doing your due diligence on a property is to do your inspections. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I mean, if you, you may be overpaying for a property uh, up front and then you decide not to do an inspection and then X, Y, and Z is wrong with the property that could have been popped up if you did an inspection, you know what I mean? And negotiated yeah. the price lower, which is what we did on our first four pack after doing our inspections was, Oh shoot. X, Y, and Z can go wrong or X, Y, and Z is already not in good shape and will need X amount to fix. So let's negotiate the price down because that that's not going to be good going down the road if it remains like that. Right. Right. That's a hundred percent it. And the other part is if you're buying it off market and if you're buying it at a steep discount, you just got to make sure you negotiate a deep enough discount that you can afford those repairs because otherwise you're going to get caught and uh, it's going to be really, really uncomfortable for an extended period of time. We have finally become comfortable with the uncomfortableness, but we're not in a spot where we can either, you know, sit back and just say, Oh, you know, we've got these really awesome cash flowing properties and we don't have to worry about it. Like we still have to keep our eyes on it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode of the pursuit of property podcast, talking about unexpected maintenance and repairs. Um, also talking a little bit about how we fund rehabs and fund this unexpected stuff that pops up. Um, we know we wrapped up season three. It's been a little bit since we've pushed out this episode, um, but we're looking to ramp up our content and kind of do more of these conversational style, um, one-off topics that you guys want to hear more about. So please feel free, reach out to either one of us on social media, shoot us an email at pursuit of property at gmail.com. If there's more stuff you want to hear about. Um, We're here for you guys. So thanks for tuning in. Awesome, guys. Thanks for tuning in.